Hello there, and welcome to KDL's Stump the Librarian podcast, where your friendly neighborhood librarians put their research skills to the test to answer questions from you, the listener, or your brother, your favorite book character, or your superhero sidekick. I'm Jill, and I'm here with Liz. Hi, Liz. Hi, Jill. We love answering your questions, so please send them to us at kdl.org forward slash stump, or email us at stumpthelibrarian at kdl.org. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love it if you followed the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. When you follow and like our podcast, more people can find us. All right, here's our top of the pod question today, Liz. Ready. If animals could talk, which animal do you think would tell the best jokes? (laughs) That's a funny question. (laughs) Um, I'm going to say, okay, this might be a little out there, but the capybara have you ever seen pictures of them, how they, they like, befriend different kinds of animals? So I would imagine if they were communicating with each other, they would have stories to tell in between them. And usually, if you have a lot of good stories, you have some jokes, too. So that's what I'm going with, the oh, capybara. That's a good answer. Thanks. I like that. <laughs> how about you? Okay, well, um, I think... That a dog would tell really good jokes, but I also think that they would be so over eager to tell the punchline that they might sometimes get ahead of them. Right. Like they tell the punchline and they're like, oh, wait, I didn't mean to tell the joke this way, but they're just know. so pleasant. They're, maybe it's just my dog, but I feel like they're not maybe deep thinkers. So, well, it's going to be a dumb joke. It's going to be for like, sure. like a knock knock joke. Or yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But I bet they would tell lots of them. Probably. Lots of stories to tell. Yes. All right. Well, I have a question from a listener today. Let's go. All right. This question is from Emma from our Comstock Park branch. And Emma asks, what makes the colors in the sunset? This is a great question, Emma. I love a sunset. My favorite is watching over the lake. Any mm-hmm. any lake, but especially like Michigan. Right. Because then you can really see all of the reds and orange and yellows reflected in the water and the sky. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. But before we talk about the colors of the sunset, we need to back up and talk about what light is, why the sky is blue. Oh my gosh. And then we'll discuss the colors in the sunset. Settle in. This is going to be a good one. (laughs) I know. I love that this one question is also going to answer a question, why is the sky blue? Which I think is a pretty good question that people Mm -hmm. ask. Yep. So light is a form of energy. Our main source of light is the sun. There are other forms of um, light that we get, but the sun is our main source. Light travels through space in waves. Scientists measure these waves in the same way that they measure waves in an ocean or a lake. And we've talked about that before, Mm -hmm. how the waves in the ocean are measured from the top or the crest of the wave to the next top or crest of the wave. That's a wavelength. That's the same way that scientists measure light waves by wavelength. We're going to come back to these light waves in a minute, so stay tuned on that. (laughs) When we see light from the sun hit the earth, it looks white to us. Right now I'm thinking of the sunny spot in my kitchen mm-hmm. where the sun comes in on the floor that looks white. Correct. That's that the a, dog likes to live. That, I was just going to say, that's <laughs> the place. And my house, I have three pets and they take turns in that sunny spot. Sure. They will not share it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that's they, fair. Yeah, they don't like to be that close to each other, but they definitely, all, one of them will always be in that sunny spot. And one of them was there all day yesterday when it was so nice and so sunny. nice, yeah. 
Light is not white though, even though it looks white to our eyes. It is all of the colors of the rainbow. When all of the colors of the light rainbow mix together, it looks white to our eyes. There's one cool way you can test out and see those rainbow colors. You can do this at your own home and test out that white light and see all of the colors. When you put sunlight through a prism, the light bends and separates so you can see a full rainbow of colors. A prism can be a lot of things. It can just be a triangle crystal and that is very simple. That's a very simple prism. In my kitchen window, I just added a prism. It's just a simple gem that hangs from my kitchen window so that it sends little rainbows all over my kitchen. It's really nice on sunny days. Or you could use a clear plastic cup with water in it to make a prism and see those colors. I had no idea. Yeah. I think I have a link here of making your own clear plastic water prism and testing out how white light is actually all of the colors of the rainbow. So you can check that out and test it out at home on a sunny day, which is fun. When the sunlight shines through your prism, you see the rainbow of colors that make up the light. And that's just, it's really beautiful and exciting. When light leaves the sun, it travels in a straight line unless one of three things happen to light waves. Light can be reflected like in a mirror. So just hits the mirror and go somewhere else. Light can bend, which is what happens in the prism, and then you see all the different colors. Or the third thing that can happen to the light waves is it can be scattered. Scattered is what we're going to talk about mostly today. Light is scattered when it enters the Earth's atmosphere. It always is scattered when it enters our atmosphere. In the air, even though it looks clear to us, it's not. It is full of gases and tiny particles. They're so tiny that we can't see them but they're there. So when the light waves enter into the air that we breathe, light waves are scattered by all those tiny particles. Each color of light wave has a different wavelength. See, I told you we're going to get back to wavelengths. Mm -hmm. And so they scatter differently. So blue light has the shortest wavelength and it's very like bouncy because it's a short wavelength and it scatters all over the place when it enters the Earth's atmosphere. It scatters more than the other colors. The blue light is bouncing and scattering everywhere. So that's why when we look up at the sky, we see blue because that's the light wave that's scattered, scattered all, over. all over the place. Yep. All right. And that's what we see. And you know that this is interesting. This is a, a rainbow thing, but that violet is actually at the end of the rainbow. And so that's an even shorter wavelength, but we just don't see that the same way that we see blue. Mm -hmm. So if our eyes were different, we might see a violet sky instead mm -hmm. of a blue sky, oh. but it's because of our eyes sure. that we just see the blue. I wonder if animals see the violet. Those animals that have the extra color, mm -hmm. they might see the sky as violet. We can't ask them. We can't. We can't really know that. But so that's why we see the sky as blue. So why then do we see the red, orange, and yellow during the sunset? Here's what's happening. At sunset or also sunrise, which wasn't in the question, but it's about the same. We also see the pretty colors. The light waves from the sun are taking much longer to get to our eyes than they do in the middle of the day because the earth is turning and we're moving further away from the sun. And so it just takes longer for those light waves to reach us. When it takes longer for the light waves to reach us, 
the light has to pass through more of the Earth's atmosphere. And so that blue is scattered like crazy before it gets to us. And then we are seeing the longer red, orange, and yellow light waves. And those are the colors that we see. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And so one thing to note, and this isn't what makes the colors, but it does change the colors a little bit, is that as we have pollutants in the air, especially aerosols in the atmosphere, it does change the colors um, because that's just something else in the atmosphere that will make those light waves bounce off and scatter. And so that can change the colors that we see. It kind of, instead of being a more vibrant red or a more vibrant orange or a more vibrant yellow, it dulls the colors. So scientists study sunsets. Did you know that? I did not. Yeah, NASA actually studies the sunsets. I have some um, links here from NASA, which is really cool. They're designed for kids. So you can go in there and check out um, some of the cool things that NASA is doing to study sunsets. They study sunsets to determine what kinds of gases and what kinds of pollution is in our atmosphere. NASA has a special instrument that's called SAGE. It has a name, SAGE. SAGE measures the light waves at sunset and sunrise to determine what particles are in the atmosphere, both good and and bad. Mm -hmm. So let's just say that sage is hanging out here in Michigan, and it's hanging out at Lake Michigan. How many times per day would they get to measure the sunset and the sunrise if they're here in Michigan? Twice. Yep. One sunrise, one (laughs) One sunset per day. That's it. So sage isn't hanging out at Lake Michigan because they want as much data as they can. Sage is on the International Space Station. Oh, cool. Yeah. (laughs) The International Space Station orbits the Earth in about 90 minutes. So SAGE can get data for 15 or 16 sunrises each day or 15 or 16 sunsets each day. Yeah. So with this data, scientists are able to have a better understanding of what's in our atmosphere, and it helps us better understand how we can take care of our world. Nice. So there's more information about SAGE if you're interested in that in the NASA uh, links that I have here and more information about light and how to do light experiments at your house. So thank you, Emma, for that great question. That was a great question. That's a great answer. Good job, Jill. Thanks. Liz, do you have a fact of the day for us? Uh, I do, as a matter of fact. Okay. Um, This is from the Weird and Wonderful Nature book, Tales of More Than 100 Unique Animals, Plants, and Phenomena by Ben Horry. It's in the science and nature section of the library in the nonfiction. This fact of the day is about lenticular clouds. Have you ever heard of that, a lenticular cloud? No, I have not. Okay. Let me tell you more because it's pretty interesting. Okay. Over the past century, there have been many claimed sightings of mysterious alien spacecraft low down in the sky. Have you heard of that before? Well, of course, of course. <laughs> UFO sightings? Right. None have proved to be real. So what are people seeing? We may never know for sure, but it's likely some observers were looking at unusual clouds. Clouds can take a lot of curious shapes that may remind us of anything from dinosaurs to ocean waves, hats, and sometimes we see people's faces Mm -hmm. in clouds. Mm -hmm. 
one special cloud formation could easily be mistaken for a spaceship in the distance because it's thin, smooth, and rounded like a huge white saucer. When we think of people seeing aliens in the sky, that's usually what we think of. Mm -hmm. It's known as lenticular cloud and occurs in mountainous areas, but only in certain conditions. A strong, moist wind has to be blowing directly across the mountain to create waves of rapidly moving air full of water vapor. We can't see the waves, of course, although we can see the clouds that are produced above the peaks and on the downwind side of the mountain. Aircraft steer clear of clouds like these because they are a sign of powerful air currents. So most lenticular clouds are spotted in winter when winds are really strong. Sometimes groups of them pile up over a mountain a mountain summit like a stack of pancakes. <laughs> Can you imagine? So, next time you see a strange looking cloud in the a cloud in the sky that you think might be a UFO, it's probably not. But <laughs> what if it is? It might be. Yeah. <laughs> so weird and wonderful nature fascinating it's a really cool book lots of cool illustrations check it out that looks awesome are we ready for another question yeah let's do it let's do it okay this question comes from nine-year-old luca from east grand rapids and he asks why do we get hiccups good question oh i hate getting hiccups i really do do you hate yeah do you hate getting like some people it's kind of annoying but I really hate it it's uncomfortable doesn't feel good because well and some people kind of can hiccup like quietly like they just kind of make like a maybe they don't make any noise at all they kind of shake their shoulders but my hiccups are so loud (laughs) it's so embarrassing but everyone gets hiccups sometimes I started my research with KDL's database, World Book Kids. That's one of my favorite places to start. It's an awesome resource when you're starting to learn about a topic. It gives little bits of information. There's usually photographs. Hiccups come from a spasm in the big muscle called the diaphragm. It's in the lower part of the chest, and it's attached to your sternum, which is the hard bone in the middle of your chest, the rib cage, and the spine. It's attached all the way around. There's a lot of important bone. That's a lot of important bones to attach to. The diaphragm is thin and dome-shaped, and it separates your chest and your abdominal cavity. Its purpose is to help you breathe regularly in and out. When you breathe in, it tightens to help pull the air in, and then it relaxes to help you breathe out. Sometimes when the diaphragm spasms, you get what's called a stitch in your side. Has that ever happened yeah. to you? It's a pain sometimes associated with breathing really fast, like when you're running or playing a game. I had no idea that's what was causing that, but the diaphragm is a muscle, and any muscle can spasm or contract uncontrollably anywhere in your body. And hiccups are just another muscle spasm, like getting a stitch in your side. So what is happening to make that noise, that hick noise, when you hiccup? Well, hiccups, first of all, are caused by a number of things like eating too much or too fast, drinking too fast, or having even having carbonation can cause hiccups. Getting surprised or scared can cause hiccups in some people. Oh. So this muscle spasm in your diaphragm causes your vocal cords to suddenly close, which is what makes that hick noise when you hiccup. 
So how do we stop hiccuping? <laughs> there, I read lots of different um, recommendations, and none of them, none of them are going to work a hundred percent of the time. But has anybody ever told you something that you could do to stop hiccuping? Can you think of anything off the top yeah. of your head? Yeah, I thought about making that the top of the pod question, oh, but then yeah. I thought <laughs> you might ask me that during sure. your question. Oh, uh, yeah. I, you know what I, I always do to my daughter is it, I pretend to scare her. Oh, yep. yep. The, but I mean, it doesn't, I'm not actually scaring her, so it doesn't really work. I'll right. just say boo. <laughs> <laughs> and she startles. Yeah, no, she just oh. stares at me like, you do that every time I have hiccups. <laughs> Well, there are lots of things you can try. Breathing into a paper bag Mm -hmm. helps you to relax your diaphragm so it stops spasming. Some people say holding your breath Mm -hmm. can help. I've heard that one too. Sipping ice cold water is another way to try to get rid of hiccups. Swallowing a little bit of sugar can sometimes help. Yeah, I've heard of that. It's a thing. And even biting a lemon can help stop your hiccups. It might. It's something to try. Typically, they don't last very long, usually less than two minutes, even though sometimes it feels like a long time. Mm -hmm. And then you can start breathing normally again. However, there was one man who held the record for the longest case of hiccups, a whopping 68 years. Oh, no. His name was Charles Osborne, and he was confirmed by Guinness World Records to have had a case that began in 1922 and ended in 1990. How do you even live your regular life? It's about 430 million hiccups. Oh, no. Of course, he saw many doctors, but one couldn't say for sure why it happened or what was happening. It began with a farm accident where... A hog fell on top of him. Oh. Um, and he suffered injury. Uh, one doctor thought he had injured the part of his brain that stops hiccups, which is possible, but in 1922, how are they going to figure that out? Right. Um, another doctor he saw thought it was an injury to his ribs, you know, the diaphragms attached to all those bones inside, and that could be causing it. But his case caught national attention. He appeared on radio and on t- television later in his life. His hiccups suddenly stopped in 1990, but then he passed away in 1991. Oh, no. <laughs> Can you imagine? He went for maybe not even a whole year without hiccups. Oh. Another person with a long case of hiccups, though not as long as Charles, was a man named Christopher Sands. He had two years of hiccups from 2007 to 2009, so that wasn't so long ago. Every two seconds for 12 hours a day. He was found to have a tumor pushing on the phrenic nerve in the brain that signals the hiccup reflex. Oh, wow. The tumor was removed and his hiccup stopped. Science. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Um, I know I've seen my dog get hiccups before. Mm -hmm. Do other animals hiccup? Of course they do. Uh Any animal with a diaphragm, mammals like us, can get the hiccups. Kittens, cats, puppies, and dogs, most notably, but also horses, otters, and squirrels, and porcupines have all been studied having the hiccups. (laughs) Even babies before they're born or in utero can get hiccups. It can be seen on ultrasound, and it can be felt by the mother. Mm -hmm. It's not 100% clear why unborn babies get hiccups, but it could be as babies' lungs develop, their bodies kind of practice breathing which causes the diaphragm to spasm. 
Infants also get hiccups a lot. There are several reasons why. They do they drink a lot and it can trigger that involuntary spasm. As we get older, we tend to hiccup less. Definitely less than babies do cuz babies get hiccups all the time. Mm-hmm. There is also some hiccup folklore that I found. Many cultures believe someone is thinking of you or missing you when you begin to hiccup. Well, that's nice. And to stop, you need to think of that same person. Oh. (laughs) Which might just be you trying to, like, ignore your hiccups and then they go away. Mm -hmm. Fascinating facts about hiccups. Thanks for that great question, Luca. And I hope your day is (laughs) hiccup-free. The end. That was great, Liz. Thanks. Oh, man, I hate getting hiccups. I don't like it either. It's just the worst. (laughs) Are you reading anything interesting right now, Jill? Oh, yes. Could you tell us about it? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) This is book award season. Oh. In January, there are announcements for all different types of book awards. And every year, I put tons of them on my pile of to-be-read books. And in the past few weeks, I have read eight award winners or honor books. It's, uh, I know. I How just, many? Eight. What? I know. <laughs> I know. But uh, I've read some pictures. Some of those are picture oh, books. Well, that okay. But picture books count as I, reading. I know. I know. <laughs> so the one I want to talk about today is one of the Newbery Honor books because I thought it was super fun. Sure. The Newbery Award is given to the author of The Most Distinguished Contribution to Children's Literature. Mm-hmm. Honor books are some of the runner-ups to that Newbery Award. Just because a book has this medal on it, it doesn't mean it's the best book or the best book for you as a reader, but it does mean that a large group of people who read lots of books think this book is pretty great. Well, I think this book is pretty great, and it's called Elf, Dog, and Owlhead. (laughs) Isn't that a great title? It is. It's by M.T. Anderson. This book is set during the pandemic shutdown, and it's, it's never referred to by name as pandemic or as COVID-19. It's referred to as the sickness or as the plague. It's a modern book, and that's when it's set. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't feel dark or scary, though, just if, you know, if you're worried about that feeling like, oh, I don't want to remember that time, that it doesn't feel like that at all. That's just when it's set. So during this time, The wall between worlds is breached by a magical elf dog that lives with people under the mountain. (laughs) This book has just the right amount of magic in real life that I love. The dog is chasing magical prey and accidentally gets stuck in our human world. Oh, no. I know. The dog is really sad and looking for a way back in, but then meets a boy named Clay and meets Clay's family and realizes that life with humans is pretty great. At first, the dog is like, where is my kennel that I'm going to go into? And the boy was like, come sleep in my room. And the dog is like, wow, I am being honored. Right. <laughs> it is an honor. It is, Yeah. <laughs> The elf dog can see paths that Clay's eyes can't see and leads him on adventures to magical villages. Clay makes friends with an owl head boy, and he refers to Clay as human head boy. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. And the three friends adventure all over magical paths. The book has magical creatures, magical realms, real human stories, especially as the three siblings in this book are looking to share their one computer to do online school Mm. and they're only seeing each other for months on end and they're feeling the strain of not seeing their friends and that part feels really relatable. Mm -hmm. But 
one of the greatest things about this book is the pictures. Not every chapter book has pictures in it, but this one has full page pictures. Every chapter or so, they're black and white. They're just beautiful illustrations. They give you a peek into the fantasy worlds that you get to see. And I love the pictures. I have read that this is very good as an audiobook, but make sure you have a physical copy right next to you if you're listening because you want to see these pictures. They're really good. So if you love a fantasy world that meets reality, this book is for you. It does get a little scary, but I don't want to spoil anything. So <laughs> don't worry. The dog doesn't die. Oh, thank goodness. That's very important. I think that's very important yeah, to know. The dog sure. no, does not die. Okay. So, but uh, yeah, this was, this was great and I loved it and I loved, loved, loved the pictures. Highly recommend this one. Tell me the title of it again. It is. The title's so good, right? I know. Elf, Dog, and Owlhead. Oh, that's great. Thanks. It sounds amazing. That's a good one. All right. Well, did you learn anything interesting today, Jill? I did. (laughs) Well, first of all, I never knew that I've experienced that stitch in your side while you're running Mm -hmm. many times. And I never knew that it was because the diaphragm is tightening. That makes a lot of sense to Mm -hmm. me. I don't know why I never knew that, but now I do. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it is. And I've I've seen people like put their arm up when they get that happen. And that makes sense to me now too, because you're kind of like stretching that muscle out. And trying to like breathe. Right. And that helps calm that muscle spasm too. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So thanks. Thanks for teaching me that. Yeah. I learned, and maybe I knew this already, but I appreciate you saying it, is that you can make a prism with a glass of water to see the colors of the rainbow. I guess maybe I kind of forgot about that, but what a cool, easy thing to do when we do get those bright, sunny days here. Mm -hmm. It's been a little dreary, but we're... We're going to have sun again, and we can do cool science experiments and see all the colors of the rainbow right in our own home. It's, it's super I think fun. That's great. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. I guess that's it for us today. Thank you for all of your amazing questions and helping us to learn more about our world, too. For more information or to send us your own questions, head to kdl.org forward slash stump. Tune into the next episode where we answer more of your questions. A huge and special thanks to the KDL Programming Department, the KDL Marketing Department, and J.D. Delinsky for our intro and outro music. Thank you.